Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. So let me ask you a question today. What would you say is the secret of long life? Well, a recent survey said it does help if you come from a long line of healthy people. How many of you could go with that? I mean, even in the little animal world, there are breeds of, of dogs and, and, and different animals that have longer lifespans and less health problems. So it, in breeding, that's, that's important to people who uh, work in that area or field. Well, it's the same in our family. So if you come from a long line of healthy people, it gives you a little edge. It does help if you take care of yourself, right? You eat right. You do some exercise. But the number one reason people live longer was career satisfaction, their purpose. Might God make you? What he put you here for? See, the key reason for living a long life is enjoying what you do. The, your purpose. And I guarantee you, whatever he made you to do, you are already gifted to do it. You're hardwired to do it, whether you know it or not. And the more you do it, the better you get at doing it. And other people will recognize, hey, you do that pretty good. And you just get better. But if after 10 years you still suck, you're not doing what God made you to do. God doesn't make a mistake. Okay? So life is enjoying your purpose, your career whatever God's positioned you to do. I, I wonder how many people are thinking right now, Rick, I don't think I'm going to live very long then. I could be gone before this service is over. See, if you hate what you're doing, you're probably not doing what God made you to do. Find something you like to do so much, you do it for free, and then learn to do it so well, people will pay you to do it. Excellence. See, I want to give you a life-changing principle that will not only help you in your career or purpose, but it'll help you in your marriage, it'll help you in your relationships, and it'll help you with people. And it'll help you live big in every area of your life. A little girl kept noticing her daddy came home every evening and bringing his work with him. Finally, she said one night, Daddy, why do you come home every night and have all this work? He said, well, sweetheart, I got so much work to do, I can't get it all done at the office. So she said, well, Daddy, why don't they just put you back in a slower group? <laughs> That's what they do in school, out of the mouth of little children. See, Genesis 24 is a great story of a guy named Abraham. He's an old man. His wife, Sarah, has died. His son, Isaac, is about 40 years old and a bachelor. And by the way, Rick Evans back there in the audio booth is a bachelor. Oh, don't do it. I'm I'm, I'm trying to help the guy. I'm, he needs help. Okay. So in Bible days, it was the duty of parents to select a mate for the child. Not a bad idea, right? Yeah, I know. Okay, so Abraham tells his servant, Eliezer, go back to my homeland and to my people and select a bride for Isaac. So we pick it up in Genesis 24. Genesis 24, verse 10, following. Then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Abram, uh, Aram, excuse me, Naharim, 
and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, this well, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. So may it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink. Oh, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Well, before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The woman was very beautiful. She was hot. King James wrote this in 1611. That's not what we would say today. Okay, she's very beautiful. She's a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the well, filled the jar, and came up again. The servant hurried over to meet her, and he says, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said. And quickly she lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she says, I'll also draw water for your ten camels too, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well, drawing more and more water, and drew enough for all ten camels. Notice verse 19. I want to call your attention to Rebecca's willingness to go the extra mile, a little second effort. She not only gives this stranger a drink of water, which wasn't unusual, that was the normal custom. But she's willing to water all 10 camels. And she wasn't even asked to do it. It wasn't my job. Nobody's paying me. So understand camels hold 40 gallons of water. That's 400 gallons. And they've come on this 500-mile trek. It's going to take more than a few hours to get water enough for all these camels in a pitcher. That's going to run her mascara and tear her pantyhose. So get a picture of this. So here's a girl who not only gives what's asked, a drink of water, but she voluntarily offers to take care of his camels. But it's this phrase, and your camels also, that I want to focus on this morning because current American workplace philosophy says I'm going to do the least expected and try to get the most for it. Minimum effort for maximum return. Time Magazine had run a past year's story that said America the inefficient or why nothing seems to work anymore in the United States. Let me read a paragraph for you that comes from that article. It says, for many years, America was noted around the world for its efficiency and quality of its products and honesty and the fact men prided themselves on what they made. But in the last few years, that's changed. There's a feeling around the world that our country's lost its important characteristic. There have been complaints coming from everywhere that we can't be trusted, that we don't do our work well, that we're coming to be known as America the inefficient, America the deceptive. You know, I was told that 25% of the price you pay for a new American car is built in by the manufacturer 
to cover all the defects and callbacks because it was done improperly for that car. In 2016, America Automotive quoted, and I read this yesterday, in 2016, it was $22 billion because of crummy work. $22 billion. So we pay 25% because some workers didn't care enough to do it right on the production line. One year in, uh, when I bought my first new car was an Oldsmobile 98. I was so proud of it. I was in Savannah, Georgia. I went to pick it up. They had, the door was open. I reached out to grab my door. I pulled it, and the whole door came off. The whole door, guts, wires, everything came off. And I wonder who was working on that day. Yeah. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's fine, Rick, in the marketplace, but what's that got to do with me? It has significant relevance to all of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, especially since Jesus taught us that we ought to be known by our good works. Now, good works don't save us. Jesus saves us alone by his vicarious atonement at the cross and sinless life. But we are to be known by doing good works because that's what he did. We're a follower. We have his DNA. And so we wanted to be known, Jesus said, he said this, as people who go the second mile, who do a little bit more than they have to do, that we're to be salt and light in the world. Hey, you can put a little bit of salt on a whole hunk of food and you taste it. Why can't we be light? It just takes a little bit of light in darkness to be seen for miles. In fact, my Navy friends in here tell me that when they have lights out, you're not to smoke a cigarette on deck because an enemy aircraft could see it 75 miles in the pitch dark. I'm thinking, what's happened to us? Salt, light, salt affects everything it touches. Nothing affects salt. Nobody says, this salt tastes steaky. Nobody. No, no, it tastes salty. And we're salt and light. You know, somewhere, sometime, following Jesus, having him as my Savior and Lord ought to make some change in me. My attitude, my way of thinking, and my behavior. It's not everything has changed at once, but it ought to be a progressive change where my life gets better. I get a little better at doing what I'm doing and following and making some kind of a difference. Okay, shoddiness and lack of extra effort thinking should never take place in the mind of a believer. So Jesus put this mindset in his sermon on the mount. Jesus said that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. And Pharisees were the all-time clock watchers, payday and sundown. They were the top of the line legalists. Do only what's required and not one thing more. Jesus said, go a second mile if you're asked to go one mile. He said, that'll blow them away. They're not expecting that, right? So he said, turn the other cheek. If a man asks for your coat, give him your coat as well. It was giving more than you were expected to. It's called going the second mile. Well, that's not my job. Well, I don't get paid to pick that up. Well, they don't pay me to come to that chosen conference. That's not my job. That's what you hear. That's what you hear. And I'm thinking, this is Jesus' family? Kind of a sucky family, right? I mean, when you hear people talk like that, not meaning you, the family, I just mean at large. But if it applies, okay. <laughs> Jesus was teaching that in life, go the, go the second mile. That a willingness to do that will cause people to say, man, 
They don't have to do that. I'm impressed. Why are they doing that? See, people aren't going to turn to Jesus because of your hairstyle or you put a track on the table or, or, or you knew a few verses of Scripture. What gets their attention today is doing something unexpected, something you don't have to do, something you weren't paid to do, something that cost you something. Now you get somebody's attention, okay? Ears up. So if we as Christians all operated under the Rebecca principle, that after you do what's asked of you or what you're paid to do, you do a little bit extra, well, the marketplace would have as their first question on a job application, are you a Christian? Because they would associate Christianity not with what you hate or what you don't do, but extra effort, going the extra mile, helping somebody when you didn't have to, when it's not your job. Talk about a witness. Giving maximum effort instead of minimum effort. Walking the extra mile with excellence would have employers running to the churches to see what makes these people so dramatically different rather than a lazy, pathetic, get-by attitude so prevalent in the marketplace today. See, don't be quoting scriptures on the job when you're not giving maximum effort. That's a waste of time. Don't even tell them you're a Christian if you're not going to give your best effort. Tell them you're a Buddhist or something. Give your boss the best you can, and then a little bit extra. Then begin to tell them how Christ has changed your life and your thinking or your marriage. When we think of Pentecost, we think of ordinary people given power to do extraordinary things. Ordinary people with power to do mundane, ordinary things in an extraordinary way. She says, not only will I give you a drink, baby, but I'm going to water all of those 10 stinking camels. I see excellence coming out of Rebecca from the fact the power of God's Spirit will help you do things a little bit better and a little bit longer when you don't have to. Let's apply Rebecca's second effort to our lives. Just a few quick thoughts here. Number one, we're not to live our lives as legalists. The Pharisees did everything by measurement. They were the Hall of Fame time clock punchers. They did only what they had to do, but not a thing more. But Jesus said our righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Well, I put in my eight hours. See, the average person makes sure they never give more than is expected of them. They'll do just enough not to get fired, or they'll do just enough not to get divorced. I watch people say sometimes, well, I know I'm not going to get a lot there, so I'm not going to give a lot. But they don't realize they're writing the resume for their own future. Always give more. When you do, it builds your future. We'll look at that in a minute. Secondly, you can't walk the second mile till you get done with the first. You've got to do a thorough job of excellence with what you have before you can do an extra job with what you might be given. If we haven't done a great job where we are, we won't do a great job where we're going. Take care of the first mile first. Third, extra blessings come from extra effort. There's no traffic jam on the extra mile because after the first mile, the average always exit. Didn't Jesus say with the same measure you give to life, you shall receive from life? So extra effort leads to extra reward and blessing. Think about marriage. If every husband and wife could learn this principle of walking the second mile, doing just a little bit more than is required or expected, divorce courts would dry up. When you took your vow, you didn't say, I'll try. <laughs> you said, I do. I will. 
Marriages don't fall apart when we want to do something extra for our spouses. They fall apart when we sit around thinking our spouse ought to do something extra for us. I have a little habit I go through. When I'm going somewhere, leaving the house, I'll say, honey, is there anything I can help you with or pick up for you? I'm hoping she says no. <laughs> but usually she'll have some. well, would you mind going to get, well, I've already opened my mouth, and I think, that's all the way across town. Shoot, I, I don't want to go there. The traffic's going to be bad. That's going to take me longer than I wanted to. I didn't sign up for that. I don't have to do this. Why don't you take the car and go get it? I, those are thoughts that go through your mind, your unrenewed mind, right? And I'll go do it. It's, it's not a lot. It's just a little bit extra. That you know, it, it builds some deposits in your marriage bank account because there'll be days you need to have a withdrawal, and it ain't going to happen if you're bankrupt. You better put something in that baby so you can take something out when you need it, right? But what happens is we start listing our rights. I don't have to do that. I'm not paid to do that. I'm trying to talk you out of this nonsense so we can have a great church and become great people and have a great future. If our society has a scar on it, it's what are my rights? And it's killing us. Whatever happened to my responsibility? Dr. Ed Cole used to say, you're a male by birth, but you're a man by choice. It's always choice. Almost every good thing that happens to us is when we do what is right. And we do it because God happens to like right. And it's in those little moments of extra effort, even in ordinary things, when we didn't have a clue anybody else was watching, go the extra mile. I remember going to the car wash. Uh, uh, that uh, one of them closed now, but where the, you, you can imagine high school kids and people working a part-time job are out there. And I watched one kid because mine was yet to come out and there were two or three already out there. And that one kid looked like a high school kid. He was doing the wheels. He was putting extra spray on. He, was, he just spent more time and the other guys would go out there and flap the towel one time and maybe do a little on the window and walk away. And I had a large bill in my pocket, and I walked over when it's time to get my car, and I said, son, I don't know why you're doing what you do that's extra effort, but you have a great future. And I said, I am so proud of you. You keep doing this. You'll never be broke. You'll, be, you'll never be unemployed. You keep doing this right on through school, and when you get out, you're going to come out way ahead. And I just want to say thank you because I'm watching it. You don't know who's watching you do anything. Rebecca didn't have a clue who this guy called Sparky was on 10 camels. What an inconvenient moment for this little girl. There are three words that distinguish the highly successful from the average. And those three little words are, and then some. The highly successful person does what they're supposed to do, and then some. The highly successful marriage is where the spouse does what he's supposed to do, and then some. The good student does what the requirements are, and then some. See, it's not how little must I do. It's not responding, that's not my job. I read a book uh, when I was living in Savannah, Georgia, called The Magic Kingdom. And the CEO of Disney World back then uh, gave leadership classes, and so I wanted to be part of it. I enjoyed the book. And one of the guys, the business guys, asked him, said, how many do you have on maintenance that look after the park, that clean it, and keep it sharp? 
He said, 4,400. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not possible. You only have 4,400 people employed, total. And, and when the business guy asked him that question, I think it was Eisner or one of the CEOs, he said, I pick up trash. We all pick up trash. We're all in maintenance. I'm not paid for that. Yeah, you are. Pick it up. If you see it, pick it up. If it's wrong, make it right. If somebody has a need, try to go to it and meet that need or help if you can. Get over this. I'm not paid to do that. That's not my responsibility. I have a beautiful baseball plaque and the ball itself from Ozzie Smith, who was, you know, Hall of Fame baseball player. And, and old Ozzie would always show up a half hour early before the rest of the team and have the coach hit grounders to him. He would do flies. He was the last one to leave, the first one to show up, and he became Hall of Fame. No, no secret there. He just did a little bit more. He didn't get paid to show up early, but he did. Michael Jordan, I think, did the same thing. So the people that make the biggest difference put in just a little bit more. Just a, Do you know the difference between boiling and not boiling is one degree. 212 degrees Fahrenheit water boils. Not 211, 212. And that little bit more shows up in the Olympics or in a swim where a guy one one hundredth of a second, and that could be millions of dollars, that little extra something, right? What would happen if believers became extra mile people? We'd receive more than we ever believed possible. We would receive more from life, more from others, and more from God. More than we ever thought possible. That's why people who are not givers never receive anything. They don't give time. They don't give their talent. They don't give their resources. I don't feel sorry for a stingy believer. Are you kidding me? I always think to myself, I ain't surprised. I'm surprised you got what you got. People who never put anything into life never get anything out of it. And because Rebecca gave more than was expected, she received more than expected. You know, when Rebecca watered those stinking camels, she did not know that one act is now going to change her future forever, allow her to marry into the richest family on earth that would make her the great, 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 great grandmother of Messiah Jesus. She didn't have a clue. Don't shoot your camels. Water them and ride them to your destiny. Every time we do the little bit extra, Jesus said, with the right motive, you are doing that little bit extra unto me. He said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of my brothers, you've done it unto me. That takes the pain out of it. Wife helping a husband. Yeah, sorry, rascal, isn't worth it. You're right. You're right. Do it for Jesus. If you're making hamburgers at Burger King part-time, make it like you're making it for Jesus. Don't drop the patty on the floor and pick it back up. Fry it and then give it to me. That changed the whole perspective of how we do everything. Treat everybody that way. I run into people all the time that expect life to do things for them. But life will say, excuse me, that's not the way it works. You give and then you receive. You don't receive and then give. You don't stand in front of the fireplace and say, give me heat. No, first you got to put the wood in and get the fire going. Then it gives you warmth. So how many people don't enjoy their job, their marriage, or their own life? All because they haven't learned the Rebecca principle of a little bit more, the extra mile. So Rebecca teaches us maybe five things real quick, and we'll stop. Number one, don't despise your little job. 
Zechariah 4.10 says, don't despise, means to undervalue the day of small things. You know, unless you have inherited something, we all start small and with little. Resources, talent, we start little. And Jesus said, don't despise that. Don't undervalue that. That's part of building your future. Every day, Rebecca did the same dumb thing over and over again. Go to the well, get water. Big deal. What a boring, menial job. But don't despise it. Jesus said in Luke 10 that we have to be faithful in the little things to qualify for promotion to the bigger things. Everybody wants a big job, big paycheck, big position. But it's in the small ones you learn the principles that will make you effective if and when you ever get to the big job. It starts there. And, okay, maybe the boss isn't watching. Maybe others aren't paying attention. God says promotion does not come from the north, south, east, or west. Psalm 75 said it comes from God. God's watching, and that's all that matters. He sees. He knows. See, if I don't learn to do hamburgers right at Burger King or do some part-time job working your way through school with some excellence, you won't do your best at any other job that you ever happen to get. You'll cut corners and be sloppy and probably be dismissed. I see people sitting on the curb of life, letting opportunity after opportunity go right by them because they can't get the right job or the right salary or the right raise or play the right position. So they sit until they get the right thing, which never comes. I hope you sit there till your rear end becomes concrete. Don't undervalue the small job. It's the gateway to your future. Joseph was just faithful in a dumb jail. And the guys noticed, the foreman noticed, hey, I can trust this guy. He's on time. He does what we ask him. I'm going to make him in charge of all the prisoners. I'll leave his cell open. I'll give him uh, Netflix on his TV in there. I'll give him access to the library, computer, and the gym when the others are locked up. Joseph was put in charge of everything. When he was with Pharaoh's house, he was in charge of everything, and he was faithful. So he didn't stop being faithful because he went to prison, did he? No. He kept being the same guy he was, and it brought him to the prime minister of of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Pretty cool. Now, it doesn't happen in a day. That's the American way. I want it now. Now. Some workers actually refuse to learn anything new because they're afraid they might be asked to do more. What a winning attitude, huh? I imagine that boss or employer would never want to know your God. Secondly, don't wait for the big moment. If you're not happy with where you are and what you're doing now, you're not going to be happy later with what you might do tomorrow. Happiness is not a position. Happiness is not a salary. It's a disposition in your mind and in your heart. Well, when I get married, then I'm going to be happy. Hey, if you're not happy single, you ain't going to be happy married. The only difference is you're going to make somebody else unhappy. (laughs) Number three, help people, and you'll always be a blessing. Help people. Take a round of people. You come to church every week. Look, is there a need? Do you see a single mom dragging kids out to a car, and maybe something looks bad or the tires look bad, and somebody sees that and says, hey, why don't we check on that person? Let's see if we couldn't do something to make that a little bit safer. Or they need a car seat. We can get a car seat. Come on. That's Well, I pay my tithe. Yeah, I doubt it. But anyway, you, 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 how about a little bit more? Just a little bit more. Whatever you do unto these, Jesus said, you did it to me. He, he, 
He who lends to the poor gives to the Lord. I mean, this is something Jesus is very emphatic about. I was proud uh, Nicola Wonky and our church uh, cooperated with Any Baby Can and another ministry yesterday, and they were giving out free infant formula to our entire community. People came from as far as SeaWorld. Mom was trying to get formula. Can you believe it? In this country. And yet we, we partnered with them. Do, well, that's not our main job. Well, it is our job, looking after people, caring for people. Jesus did it. Pour your life into others. Get outside yourself. See, people love to be around you when you talk about them, when you add value to them. Do you? When I've been with some of the biggest leaders in this country. I never tell them what I'm doing. I, first, they probably wouldn't care. But number one, I ask them, how did you do that? What inspired you to do this? How are you dealing with this? Uh, uh, get, hard to get people to work in, in, in many corporations or businesses. And I want to know what they know by interviewing him and talking about them. My mother, she's in heaven. I love her. My mother never asked me once. She's been back in the speaker's room when she'd come visit. Son, how are you doing? How's it going? You need some rest? You need... Never. All she did is blab on who she met and so-and-so on TBN and so-and-so. Never about me. But her sister, Donna. I love Donna. Because when anytime Donna was around, she'd sit down beside me, put that hand on my back, rub my back like an old dog, rub that back and say, <laughs> how you doing, baby? How's it going? Pet me. Shoot, I could have sat there all day. She's just nurturing me, right? Yeah. Ask people how they're doing. They may be in a mess. You don't have a clue. How's it going? Are you doing okay? Can we pray about that? Whatever. Talk, talk, talk to people about that. I was told during vacation Bible school, the kids were asked to put their, their greatest fear on cards, and they put them, put them on a wall. No names were signed. And, and some of them were what you would expect. You know, I'm afraid of the dark or, or something else. But some of them were just heartbreaking. One of them said, my fear is that my parents don't have enough money to get me a hearing aid, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to go to school and I won't be able to hear well. Now that gets me. That just tears. And I thought, who is this kid? I will run down and get you a hearing aid. I want to get you a hearing aid. When I pay my tithe and give above my tithe and support. Well, good for you. Good for you. But think about other people and watch God bless you. What you make happen for others, Ephesians 6, 8, God says, I'll make happen for you. And it may not come today. It may come when you need it out here in the future. Somebody may help your child somewhere along the line. If you can make life easier or better or help somebody, or, and it's not going to take you down the drain, for God's sake, do it. Do it. It doesn't have to just be in the church. It could be where you are. Who's my neighbor? Wherever you happen to be with whatever needs you meet, happen to go for it right there. This ought to be 101 Christianity. See, do your best and then some. You cheat God, you cheat your employer, you cheat yourself when you don't do your best. And then a little bit extra. Always give it your best. And if you don't have time to do it right the first time, how are you going to have time to do it over? We, 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 we had some construction at our home and, and the company that put in the plumbing, uh, the pipes, we had a big problem. We had to redig the whole house, if you can believe this. The labor, the time, because the guy working on the crew that put the pipe in didn't connect it. 
And it took almost a year for that to show up uh, and separate with settling and, and water going through it. And in many cases, there was not even any glue applied. <laughs> and the, the unredeemed part of me, who is that sucker? I want to know who he is. I, he ought to be fired on the spot. He ought to put his nose down there and say, you did this, you fixed this. And it took twice as much money to fix it as it would have done to do it right. But he didn't care. He didn't care. I don't care what your job is or how much it pays. As long as it's paying you and you're taking it, give it your best and then some. Number five, when God opens a door, go through it. Go through it. When your attitude's right, your motive's right, and God opens a door, go for it. Why? Because God's promoting you. He's lifting you because he suddenly got a Rebecca on his hands. Let me read this and we'll quit. Genesis 24, verse 54 through 58. It says, then he, that's the servant, he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brothers and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us for 10 days or so, then you may go. But he says, no, 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 do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So her motives were right. She was an extra mile, second mile person. And now God opens the door and she says, I'm going for it. See, I believe God always looks for people who want to exhibit excellence in your job, your, your purpose, your, your marriage, your relationships, in your home, and in your personal life. Don't settle for good enough is good enough. That has become a curse in the American workplace. Good enough is not good enough. People who will give maximum effort, God will open doors and bless you with a career or a ministry or a home and give you the most influence possible for Jesus. Let me close by saying mediocrity is a personal choice. That's right. Look in the mirror. It's personal. It's a personal concession to less than my best. It's a personal lethargic resignation that says, I guess good enough is good enough. I'll leave the bondo on my car and spend the insurance money. People want to blame the environment, the government, the organization, and people for their haphazard, average, slipshod, lousy life. But if you don't pursue excellence, it's a personal problem. Excellence, extra effort, the second mile is simply a choice. It ain't a feeling. It's a choice. See, we aren't mediocre because we lack talent, bad luck, background, personality, or nationality. We're mediocre because of our choice. Our Heavenly Father is an excellent God. Psalms 36, 7, how excellent, O God, is your loving kindness. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Another one says, the righteous are more excellent than their neighbor. Would that describe your home, your yard? Is it clean? Is it neat? Or does it need some improvement? This may be one of our great evangelism tools at this time in our country. Put yourself in a position for God to promote you. Get rid of lucky. This is not luck. This is a deliberate action 
where you put yourself in a place for God to use you and promote you. And remember, when you give God your all, he's going to give it back on steroids. It's going to be a lot better, bigger, and forceful than what you gave him. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.